share. I don't know if Danny's going to let Stephanie say something. You know, he might not get the pulpit back. You know, she's a preacher. You may be seated. But um, as Danny gets up here, I want to tell you that he, they don't need an introduction. Basically, uh, 19, uh, in 2002, uh, I don't want to go too far back. Don't want to take Danny's time. He's preaching. But since we're waiting on the team to get back in here, Danny, come up, come up here. In 1996, we married him and, and uh, Stephanie down in Louisiana. They've been married however long that is. How many years? 27 years. But in 2002, you and Stephanie were here in Springfield when we came to Oak Grove. Is that right? So they've been here since the beginning when we came. They were at seminary at AGTS and uh, and came and attended Oak Grove. And I'll tell you, they didn't just attend Oak Grove. They were part of the church. They were part of the New Believers class. They trained and teach New Believers, and they did whatever we did. They helped in every way. And, um, of course, Stephanie got saved the same day I got saved. And uh, her whole family, Mr. Jerry, is uh, is he's not biased, but Stephanie's his favorite. Nobody knows that, though. But anyway, she was eight years old when Melissa and I started dating. And uh, here she is, a woman of God, credentialed minister, her and her husband, Danny, pastor in Thibodeau, Louisiana. And uh, and they are family, of course. But even more than that, we've been friends and blessed to be part of their life and ministry all these years in the course of Olivia and them. And then the family's growing. And we're excited about that, Jackie, Andrew. We're very excited about your future. Would you help me appreciate Danny and Stephanie Bakers and come. Bless you, buddy. Don't you love your pastor? Come on, this is a great pastor and great man, man of God. And Sister Melissa, and uh, I tell you, I love my family. I love the family I'm married into. And this is a great church in part, certainly because of what the Lord has done, but, but because you have a great shepherd and a great pastor and a great leader. And he's uh, just been faithful to God. And I, I can tell you, I, I met Ronnie back in 95, 1995, or 94, I'm sorry. And so that's that's going back a ways and uh ninety four ninety five something like that and 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 uh it's he's the same person today as he was in except he loves God more he loves his wife more he loves his family more and he loves some good old south Louisiana Cajun cooking even more uh today and so uh love you ron and and uh and melissa as well love love our family and and it's so great to be here it, it's i may I may meddle a little bit because I feel like I'm home, and so I feel like uh, certainly not that you're my sheep, and I miss our sheep, our, our church in, in Thibodeau this morning. I was actually watching a few minutes ago on our live stream just to see what's where they're at in the service, kind of what's going on, and and I certainly miss our church back home, but I feel like I'm home, and it's so great to see so many of us, Sister Nancy and Sister uh, Connie and uh, Brother Mark, and then and Brother Mark, and, and just on and on, and Brother Terry and, and others. Uh, that uh, that we were friends with and, and that we've known for many years. So thank you for extending this invitation, Pastor Ron. And and uh, if you'll go with me to Matthew chapter 2 is where we're going to land this morning, but we'll, we'll take a few moments to get there, but Matthew chapter 2. And I thought I'd take this time to uh, to introduce you to some some words maybe you don't know uh, that we say a lot in South Louisiana. We, we, we you know, we kind of have our own culture, and, and I adopted that culture when we my wife and I got married and, and uh, learned some words even seven years ago when we moved to South Louisiana because North and South are different worlds apart. You Here, you hear Louisiana and it's all the same, but South and North are 
worlds apart. Basically, everything I-10 and below is where all the really good food is. And so, uh, and all the good Cajun culture. And so it's uh, I-10 and below. But I wanted to, to, to kind of give you some South Louisiana words this morning and uh, help you understand where we're going with the message. Uh, so here's some words we say uh, a lot. Friday mornings, our, our men meet together. We have coffee and, and prayer uh, together and devotion at a coffee shop in Thibodeau and every Friday morning. So it's the, most of the retired guys and the guys that grew up in the bayou and guys that, that a lot of them still speak a lot of French and, and so Cajun French. And here's some words we, we say a lot. Viens ici. Viens ici. And I just, just for a few moments, I'm going to teach you some of these words. Viens ici. I speak Spanish, but I love other languages. Bien see, that means come see. Come see. Come over here and see. T- take a look at this. So we hear that a lot. Bien see. Uh, another word we, we hear a lot is uh, paran. Paran and nanny. Paran is, is godfather. You know, they, they ask in that culture, it's a, still godfather, godmother. And so you're my paran and my, my nanny. And so uh, what about this word? Kuyon. Kuyon. You hear that word a lot. And Kuyon. You say that at Thibodeau and everybody's like, ah. You know, they're laughing. Uh, but Kuyon, that means you're crazy. You're just crazy. And so let me tell you, Pastor Ron is one of them Kuyons from South Louisiana. Crazy. Uh, we know this one maybe up here in Missouri you've heard. Let's say bon temps roule. That's let the good times roll. You hear that a lot around Mardi Gras, a lot, a lot in South Louisiana. Uh, they, they have something, uh, you know, big Bigfoot in other parts of the country. But in South Louisiana, it's the Rougarou. They talk about the Rougarou. It's part of the culture. It's the Rougarou. Uh, oh, it's not real, but it's the Rougarou. And uh, there's a pie there that people talk about called the Tatalabui. Tatalabui. Never heard of that before I went to South. How many have heard of Tatalabui? All right, I didn't think so. No one has heard of Tatalabui. Okay. And there's something called a Fedodo. Fedodo. Fedodo is, is like a festival. It's like a good time together. Fedodo. We're going to have a Fedodo. Well, I want to teach you a word that we say a lot, and probably your pastor, you've heard him say this word a lot, uh, and it's kind of where we're going this morning. It's the word lanyap. How many have heard lanyap? As Pastor Ron has probably used it before. I'm going to give you some lanyap. This message this morning, and lanyap means maybe another dose or some extra, or this is some bonus material. This, this message is a lanyap. Christmas message. It's another Christmas idea, another thought that we can kind of hang our faith upon this morning because we're going to look at the star and the wise men this morning from the Christmas narrative. And we could stop off at different places of the Christmas narrative. We could stop at the manger. We could stop at the shepherds. We could stop at all this great material that we could talk about. We're going to land this morning in Matthew chapter 2 and talk about the wise men and the star of Bethlehem. And you say, Pastor, come on, Christmas is over. You know, I don't know about you, but I love the Christian faith. The Christian faith has so many neat stories and things that we can dialogue and, and really have as our foundation, as our bedrock. But the gospel, we never get away from the gospel. The good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. That's the gospel. It's simple. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. And so we, we come back to that every year. And that's why I love the Christmas story. It's how Jesus came. And what was going on in the world at that time? And we're going to take some application from, the, from this narrative. So, But I really want to talk to you 
uh, on that idea of lanyap, and, and it's another it's another idea, another message. But really, give you the the title of the message is not lanyap. It's actually pursuing the presence of Jesus, pursuing the presence of Jesus. I don't know about you, but but when life gets tough, when life gets hard, what we need more than ever before is a is a disposition or is a is a is a deep down acknowledgement that we are weak, but that God is strong. And the only way we're going to make it through this is practicing the presence of Jesus in our lives and pursuing his presence and acknowledging that he's promised some things. He's given us promises in the word of God. And we we have to pursue him, not necessarily pursue the promises, but we pursue him in that process of, of waiting on the promises to be revealed. How many of you have God's ever given to you a personal promise? And then made you wait. Yeah, made you wait a while. Well, we're going to see these wise men have been waiting over 400 years for a promise, for a declaration that the Messiah was here. Let's read in Matthew chapter 2. Let's read the story together. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, so this was after Jesus was born, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. They're coming from probably modern-day Iran or, or, or East Iraq and, and probably about a 1,000 miles away. We, we don't know exactly for sure, but these men were Persians, and they were coming, and they had been waiting on a star again for over 400 years uh, and even longer than that, 1,500 years since the, the prophecy that we'll look at in just a moment was declared. So they're coming from the east saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribe of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And I think it's neat to, to recognize this because we're going to come back to it kind of in the conclusion of the message later, that, that at the beginning they were going to Jerusalem to find out where he was going to be born. Where, we, we saw this star, but we don't really know where he was to be born. So they look up Micah chapter 5, and the, they bring the, the scribes together and the leaders there together. But you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, verse 6, are, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7, then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. Notice that it says young child. It's not an infant. This was a time after Jesus was born, probably, you know, 12 to 18 months, perhaps up to two years after Jesus was born. So all those major scenes with the wise men. We had one when we were kids that had the wise men bearing gifts to Jesus. Maybe that was just trying to collect ideas together to, to, to illustrate the manger scene in some way. But the wise men weren't there at the manger, okay? Uh, we, could, we could read from this story. And so they, he says, in verse 8, let's read in verse 8, When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Again, young child. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw again the young child with his with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented their gifts to him, gold, 
frankincense and myrrh, then being divinely warmed in a dream they, that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. So we know that these guys worshipped Jesus. Pursuing the presence of Jesus. Let me give you three ideas this morning. Number one, as we are observing the, the presence of Jesus and pursuing his presence, there was expectation. Expectation. As these men are pursuing the presence of Jesus, they came expecting roughly about a thousand miles, uh, these magi. And uh, this may blow some of our theology and our ideas, but that root word magi means uh, magic or astronomer or astrologer or, or, or someone that is a sorcerer even perhaps. And we, we see this word first in the Old Testament in J- Daniel chapter 2, uh, verse 2. It says uh, the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. The king at that time was having uh, some some dreams that he was needing some help in the interpretation of that. So they came and stood before the king to interpret the dream. Daniel chapter 2, verse 2. If you read down to verses 12 and 13, he gets upset because they could not interpret his dream. And so he, he sends the order to kill all the wise men, to kill all the wise men in the land. Say, where does that come from? Where do these wise men come from? Where does this, where does this happen in, in, in Scripture? And the, these men, these wise men in Matthew come from this group. Again, they were Persians, and they were waiting upon a, the prophecy that had been uh, fulfilled through Balaam, through Balaam in Numbers chapter 24. Balaam, many theologians believe, is the kind of like the grandfather or the father of these wise men. Balaam, the king of Moab, hired Balaam to curse Israel. God says, oh, no, he's, they're not going to curse Israel. Uh, he's not going to curse Israel. He's going to bless Israel. And in Numbers chapter 24, again, about 1,500 years before this, this is what Balaam says, a star, verse 17 of Numbers 24, shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. These Persians, these wise, wise men go back to this prophecy. And the prophecy was that a star would rise. So when the Persians study their history, they study about a God who rescues. A God who rescues. The story of Esther. Those people were Persians from the Babylonian Empire. The whole story of Esther. And, and, and that those, those people understood that the, that the Israelites, the Jews, served a God who rescued them. And, and Daniel just spoke about these wise men. And these wise men are saying, saying that uh, we saw this star and and, and, and Daniel understood that, or the, the, the Persians at the time understood that the, the, the Jews served a God who rescued them. He rescued them out of a fiery furnace. Come on, the three Hebrews. And he rescued Daniel out of the lion's den. He, he, they, they understood that when they read history, that this was the God. So they're coming with expectation, in other words, that they are about to see the, the Messiah who was prophesied so many years before that. Then Daniel, in Daniel, says the the Messiah will come in about 480 years. 480 years, roughly. So you back that up, and the again, the Persians, understanding the society at the time, the Persians are, are knowing that we need to be watching for this star. We're getting close 30 years out because the Messiah or the rabbis 
you know, normally began their ministries at, at 30 years of age. And so, so they're looking for that star to be born roughly 30 years before the 480 years. How many are lost this morning? Come on, I'm getting somewhere. In other words, there was this buildup. There was this buildup. There was this buildup of expectation that the Messiah was going to come. And these magi see this star in the east, and they say, we don't know exactly what this means, but that was a prophecy that, that came through with the God of Israel that this is going to mean something. So let's go on this journey. And they're on this journey for months in and, and months out, probably 9 to 18 months again, and they're, they're expecting something is going to happen miraculously when they see the Messiah. I just have a question. If they made that much preparation, that much effort to get into the presence of Jesus, how could we not take more or make more of an effort to get into the presence of Jesus? All the effort that went into this to make this journey they opened their treasures. We're going to look at that in a little while. All that money that it would take to, to get there and go back. All the expectation, all the expectancy. You know, there ought to be something that rises up between inside of you and I as believers on Thursday that we're going to the house of the Lord on Sunday. And, and when we get there, something is going to happen. Something miraculous is going to transpire in the heavenly realms when, when God's people get together. You say, Pastor, I have that in my prayer closet Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Praise God. And yes, you can meet with God. But I'm talking about the manifest presence when God's people get together in expectation and with this expectancy that God is going to do something miraculous because where two or three are gathered, he's going to show up supernaturally and we can pursue his presence together. I think the dream of every pastor, and let me just tell you what your pastor needs, and he's he's. All Pastor Ron ever says is how great of a church this is. But what your pastor needs, what I need, what, what uh, uh, Andrew's uncle needs, Pastor Brad, and, 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 and his dad, Pastor Chad, what, what pastors need more than anything is our people throughout the week coming together in their prayer closet and then getting ready on Thursday and getting ready on Friday to say, you know what, God is going to do something supernatural when we get together. Even though, yeah, he hasn't healed my body yet. He hasn't touched my mind yet. He hasn't healed my finances yet. But when we get together, it's something supernatural. It's going to transpire at Old Grove Assembly of God on the corner of Old Grove and Bennett in Springfield, Missouri. Expectation. When you pursue the presence of Jesus, you don't go into that understanding and that faith journey saying, hey, Sarah, Sarah, you expect. Expectancy is the fruit of faith. You begin to expect that God's going to show up. God's going to move. God's going to meet needs. God's going to touch lives. How many of you have been to the new Bucky's? Bucky's does something really well. Our first Bucky's was in San, near San Antonio, Texas. We were headed to San Antonio one day, and we, we saw this billboard on the highway that said, next Bucky's 97 miles. You can hold it. We won't explain that further. They're like, okay, I think I'll wait. And then it was a few miles down the road, 43 miles, you can still hold it. They're creating this expectation 
that when you get into Bucky's, if you haven't had the smoked brisket breakfast tacos yet, you are missing out. Go get them. They create this expectation, this expectancy, this hunger within you. But we're real, aren't we? There's times when our faith journey, our walk with Jesus, we wonder, Lord, where are you? We've prayed. We've waited, not 1,500 years, but it may feel like 1,500 years when this prophecy was given. We may feel like it's been a long season. Lord, when are you going to send my husband? When are you going to heal my body? When are you going to, when are you going to touch my family? When are you going to save my loved ones? When are you going to, when are you going to do this? All the while, you're just waiting. Waiting on the fulfillment of your promise. Pursue his presence while you wait. Just pursue him. Say, Jesus, I don't know when it's coming, but you promised you would be there. You promised that when I come in your presence, you would be there. You promised you would be with me wherever I go, and you are with me right now, and you promised to be faithful, and you have always been faithful. Expectation. Bucky's does it well. But how many of us are expecting great things when we're in the car on the way to church on Sunday morning. Normally it's, can you turn that air down? Can you turn that air up? Can you can you fix this, fix that? Because we live in the flesh. We live in the physical realm. And, and, and God says, come up here, get a little higher, and, and let me show you how you're going to live in this life and how you're going to overcome all the seasons of life. Let me, let me just chase this a moment. You know what I'm learning about prayer? This is not in the notes. So this is lanyard. This is literally lanyard. This is extra. What I'm learning about prayer in this season is prayer for me means I don't have to live by fear. Prayer for me means I don't, that I can live by faith. You know, I've learned that whatever season of life you're in, and I'm turning <coughs> in a couple weeks, in a few days, in 11 days I turned 50. And I, I want you to know, I'm, I'm not bragging. I'm, I'm trying to be humble this morning, but I'm reading all this without any glasses at 50. 50. I don't need any readers right now. But I'm learning that if you have worry in your 20s, you bring that same worry in your 30s. <laughs> kind of like uh, Aiken in the Battle of Ai, you know, the little things that bring, the little things that, that were in the tent, the idols, you know, that, that the little things you carry from your 20s to your 30s get bigger in your 40s. They get even bigger in your 50s. So I'm learning that whatever fear and worry I have in this season, I, it, it comes with me in my next season. But if you learn to overcome that through the presence of Jesus and the expectancy that God is going to help you no matter what you're walking through, no matter what's going on in your family, you'll, you'll have the strength to make it. I'm just here to encourage you this morning. That in this next season, in this next year, 2024, that you'll have an expectation that God is going to be with you. And supernaturally, he'll use you. He'll use your family. He'll use your, your spouse in some way to, to help you overcome that fear and overcome that worry that creeps in for all of us. There's something in South Louisiana called hurricane season. Say it too loud. You say that loud. and. Another word we have is the frisons. The frisons. It's, it's the goosebumps. It'll give you the frisons when you hear it. hurricane season's coming. Not in a good way because of fear. So 
the, the, the fear we carry with us in this hurricane season, it's coming with us next year too. Expectation. Secondly, when you're waiting on the presence of God and, and pursuing his presence, there's an expression. Expression. This, this is something that we practice. We practice expression. Watch this. Matthew chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with, his, with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. See, there's this joy. There's this, this expression that, that arose within the, rise, the wise men. But it wasn't just joy. It was great joy. It was great joy. You know, there's the joy that the world doesn't give and the world can't take away. It's this, it's this joy. The joy of the Lord, that's our what? Strength. It's literally our strength in, in, in the, the valley of the shadow of death experiences that we have or the dark night of the souls that we have. It's the, it's this joy, but it doesn't just say there was joy and that it was great. It was that it was exceedingly. It's lanyap. It's extra. It's exceedingly great joy. It's exceedingly great joy. They had, they had this expectancy. You, you want to know how to begin to understand the parts of the Bible that you don't understand? You, you need to begin to obey the parts of the Bible that you do understand so that you can begin to understand the parts of the Bible that you don't understand. Do you understand? Hello? You, you have this exceedingly great joy that comes within you and you begin to obey the word of God that you, that you've received and you have this expression that comes from within you, exceedingly great joy. But then it says that they fell down and worshiped. This word in the Greek, this fell down and worship literally means that they fell down violently and were shattered. They fell down violently and were shattered. These men walked into the house and saw a toddler. They saw a toddler. And they fell down and they were violently shattered. That's the expression that, that came from within them that we've expected for so long for this prophecy. We've waited on it for so long. And now we understand that this child that we see before us is that promised one. They fall down violently and they were shattered. And can I just say that one day every knee will bow and one day every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, that we will all bow down one day and violently be shattered in His presence. But let me give you some scriptures that, that talk about expression. Psalm 47, verse 1. Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. Didn't the worship team just lead us so amazingly into the presence of God? I just felt His presence. Don't take that for granted. Expect that when you get together, signs and wonders are going to happen, even on services like New Year's Eve or Christmas Eve or Labor Day weekend and Fourth of July weekend. Those are just normal routine weekends. You, you can expect that great things will happen and you begin to worship. Psalm 95, verse 1, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Psalm 95, verse 6, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Psalm 134, verse 2, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. 
We're Pentecostals, charismatics. We, we, uh, we love to express ourselves. One of our core values at TFA, Thibodeau First Assembly is TFA Church in Thibodeau. And it's uh, tfachurch.org if you want to see our website. Wouldn't know. I feel like uh, y'all don't need to know that. But we, uh, we, uh, we, we value expressive worship. We use the word people, P-E-O-P-L-E, and we put an, uh, a word out of that, an acrostic or acronym. And, it's, and, and one, of the, one of the E's there in people is expressive worship because we value the fact that you can express yourself quietly. You can sit down and worship him reverently, just as many do. Or you can stand and lift your hands and shout and scream hallelujah and praise God and, and, and run around if you want to run around the church or jump up and down and cry and express yourself in an emotional way. That's expression. These wise men were expressing themselves in worship. And, and when you practice the presence of Jesus or you pursue the presence of Jesus somewhere along the way, you learn it's going gonna, it's gonna to look like some type of expression that happens in your life. For me, I love to run. And after the run, it's like I just drank a Red Bull. You know, you just had a, you just had a big caffeine drink, and, and I just feel good. I start worshiping. I have my Leland playlist, you know, worshiping to these, these uh, modern-day worship songs. They're, they're kind of older now, but they, they, uh, you worship in these songs, and you lift. For me, it's I lift up my hands. I go, there's a college that I go run in, and it's, it's just kind of flat, and I just begin to worship, or it may be on a boat when I'm catfishing, and we're looking at gators in the swamp, and, and, and I just worship, and you just sit there and look at, look at the bald eagles and the pelicans, and you just worship. I don't know what it looks like for you, but there needs to be some type of expression for you, maybe it's over your steering wheel, and you begin to put on a a, a K Love or K A D I, whatever it is, still here in Springfield. But it's some type of worship list that you can worship and get in the presence of God with. It's it's expression from your heart. I remember when uh, Stephanie and I fell in love, my wife and I. We we love Springfield because it's where we were discipled at CBC. We learned to grow in our faith, and we. We grew as believers and, and uh, cemented the call of God in our hearts for, for the days ahead. And, but it's also where we met and fell in love. Stephanie saw me get out of the gym, and I was lifting, and I was all buff and big. And, you know, I'd lift real big. I'd lift a bunch, and I'd go run to her room and look like this one. Right, Andrew? I, I try to. She never noticed. But anyways, so uh, I, I, it's where we fell in love, and I, I literally was seeing her walk across the cafeteria one day, my junior year, her senior year, and she had on a, ye- a yellow polo T-shirt and some, some penny loafers with a yellow socks, and she had a yellow scrunchie in her hair, and I just thought, who that is? <laughs> no. Who is that? I have to know. And so I began to pursue her, but, but it, it was a long time, and, and through the relationship, uh, it, through the relationship, I knew that she she uh, wanted to be the first one to say, I love you. So I waited. And so we were at, at the campus, and she said that she loved me. She expressed that. When she did, I went outside, and I screamed for as loud as anybody to hear, She loves me! You know why it felt so good? Because I already loved her. See, it's one thing to, to know that you're loved, but it's one thing to to love the person that you already love or to, for the person that you love to, you already love to love you. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm all confused. 
I, I was confused. I said, I expressed it. And then, I, of course, I said, I love you too, Stephanie. And then, and then it was like, you know, over and over and over. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I almost felt like the elf. I love you. I love you. I love you. You know, it's, it's, I love you. It's that expression. Where are you in your expression uh, with the Lord? How do you actively express your love to God? How, how is it? Honestly, you know, we all know obedience. Uh, if you say you love the Lord and you're not obeying him, it's just lip service. It's not life service. It's not true love. You, you want to obey God. You don't want to be living in sin. You don't want to, you don't want to have thoughts that are, that you don't repent of that aren't captured that you, that are, you know, immoral thoughts, different things like that are, are things that you're, you're living in that you haven't repented of and walked the other way. We, we understand that, but I'm talking about as you've repented of your sin and you're walking with Jesus, how are you practicing his presence? How are you pursuing his presence? Thirdly, the word extravagance. So we have expectation, expression. Now we have extravagance. Matthew chapter uh, 2, verse 11, extravagance is when they opened the treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We know that gold was a gift for royalty. Frankincense was a gift for divinity because of the, the uh, symbolic nature of, of incense rising before the, the, the throne, and, and it sim- symbolizes prayer. So we have a gift for royalty, gift for humanity, or gift for divinity, and then thirdly, the, the myrrh, uh, is is a gift for humanity. And it's interesting that the Persians were known for these three things, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And, and you know what I thought as I was preparing this morning uh, about this message is, you know, in our culture, we, we a lot of times talk about three wise men. Uh, if there were three, that's fine. But, but if there were five or if there were six or there were seven, put 20 on there. Why were there only 20? These were the only ones who were hungry enough to keep looking at that star. Keep looking for that star. Why weren't there more? Out of all the land of the the uh, the east, or out of all the land of where they were on that side, and they saw that side, and this side, and that side, which, whichever direction we're headed here, we uh, there had to be more than 20. There had to be more than that. These were the ones who were taking the journey. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then it says that they opened their treasures. And, and that time, the 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 uh, when you're taking a long trip, they didn't have American Express, they didn't have Visa, Mastercard, right? They had the, their treasure box or their treasury, and what it would look like is there was enough in there to sustain them to get to where they were going and to get home. What they were literally doing when they're opening their treasures and and then presenting to them, yeah, they gave them. These, these basic gifts that they were presenting to royalty, divinity, and humanity. But what they were saying is, give them everything. Open the treasure. And I see it kind of playing out. Maybe Pastor Ron is, is talking to, to me and, and Taylor. Maybe there were, if there were just three of us, okay, and we're on this trip, and Pastor Ron sees the, sees the toddler there, Jesus, and, and he, he sees him. He says, let's give them these gifts, but open that treasury. Give them everything. Open the box. He deserves everything. I don't care how we're going to get home. I don't care what the what the past looks like. I don't care what the journey back home looks like. All I know is that I just saw everything that my heart has been waiting for all of my life. That's what we're talking about. The extravagance of not just a gift in a box or a, a, a gift that you give in an altar 
or in an offering, but the gift that you give in an altar that you give your life for Jesus. The extravagant gift is total surrender to Jesus, practicing His presence in a real way. One last thing. The beginning, the wise men go to Jerusalem and they say, we saw this star in the east. The king gets together, Herod, they get together, they get the wise men, they get the scribes together and the leaders, the, the, uh, the, the religious leaders of the time, they get together and they find out where it was in the Bible. I think this is so profound, so powerful. I heard Pastor Robert Morris say this years ago, and I said, I'm going to use that, and this is the moment I'm going to use that, okay? I'm going to use that in a sermon one of these days. When they're following the star, they have to have some help to know where did it, where did, where's the Messiah going to be? In other words, they were going to their scriptures, the Hebrew Bible, to find out where, where this was. And please don't misunderstand me. We go to the Bible, all right, to, to, for our source of strength. That the, the Bible is divine rather than human in origin, and we, we understand its application for our lives. But what I'm saying is the wise men had to get help. But watch this in verse 12 of Matthew chapter 2. The first word says, then. Then. There it is, then being divinely warned in a dream, being divinely warmed in a dream. When they are going to Jerusalem, they had to get some help. But once they got in the presence of Jesus, God spoke directly to them. When they got in the presence of Jesus, God spoke directly to them. Don't go back. Go another way. What I'm talking about is help for our soul every day when we practice His presence, when we pursue His presence, waiting on a promise that He's given to us, we can have direct communication with God. You don't have to go through a pastor or a priest or someone else. Thank God for spiritual leaders. But we go directly to the Lord in prayer, and He divinely reveals His will, divinely reveals His promise to each one of us today. And we can know His will. Is it here? Is it there? Who should I marry? Who should I, who should I date? Where should I go? Where should I work? He can speak divinely in a dream, through a vision, through a prophecy, through a word of knowledge, in some way, directly to you and I. When we get in His presence. When we get in His presence. So my question is to you this morning. Are you getting in His presence? Are you getting in His presence? Are you waiting on on His promise? Waiting on His presence. I don't want to close with a really random story about a, about a parakeet named Pootsie. Pootsie. Turn to your neighbor and say, Poopsie. I read a story that is just so fascinating about a parakeet that got lost. Ended up at a, an animal shelter. Ended up at an animal shelter. And this happened in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Poopsie was lost. This lady by the name of Sue came into the animal shelter and saw this parakeet. Picked up this parakeet brought the parakeet home and became her friend, this parakeet's friend. I don't know what the parakeet's name was. Oh, Pootsie. I'm, I'm thinking of somebody else in the story. I forget their name. 
But one day when, when uh, Sue was just around the house, Pootsie was on her shoulder, and Pootsie said these words. And I, I, because it's a true story, I want to get the address right. 1500 South Oneida Street, Green Bay. The parakeet said these words. The parakeet said these. 1500, this is a true story, by the way. 1500 South Oneida Street, Green Bay. She said, could it be? She gets in her car later, writes it down, gets in her car, drives to that address, finds the address, knocks on the door. It was a man by the name of John Strubantz. She says, do you have a parakeet? He said, I used to, but I miss him terribly. And she brings Pootsie around the corner. He says, Pootsie! Pootsie! And John says, you know, this bird even knows his phone number. She didn't have him long enough to know his phone number. Isn't that a crazy story? You say, Pastor, you shouldn't tell stories like that in church. I have no idea what that story is about, by the way. But I just thought it would be neat to tell that story. But maybe if there were some symbolisms... The Holy Spirit's speaking things to our hearts that way. The Holy Spirit speaks in the form of a dove, right? And He speaks to our hearts and He leads us to the owner. But we have to follow the presence of Jesus. We have to know what is He speaking to our hearts every day. As we practice His presence, as we pursue His presence, as we wait on a promise. Ever, anyone ever heard of the promise for, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you? You know, we, re, we receive that for today, but God gave that to the Jews and made them wait 70 years to bring them back. Well, in that process of waiting 70 years, some of them received that promise in their golden years. Maybe they were 95 and they couldn't wait 70 years to go back into the land that he was saying, I, I, will, I will bring you back to this land. Jeremiah 29, read it. It's powerful. What he's saying is, is I will always fulfill my word. Whether it's in your lifetime, whether it's after you're gone, I will fulfill my word. You don't have to get hung up in the promise. Get caught up in the presence. Just follow Jesus and say, Lord, I'm going to worship you till I get home. I'm going to worship you till I breathe my last breath. I'm going to worship you till I close my eyes and I look up and there you are, Jesus, because you are worthy of my song. You're worthy of my praise. I don't know what 2024 is going to hold for you. Our two are, we've always called them special friends. I don't know if they're beyond the stage of special friends now. So Steffi and I have a slogan, out the door in 24. That's what we're saying, out the door in 24. Right, Mark? Out the door in 24. But you know, what? whatever it holds, we serve the Jehovah Shammah God. Jehovah Shammah, that name means he's there, the God who's there. He's already there. He's already there in January. He's already there in March. He's already there in April. He, he's preparing the way. 
And all we need is Him. We just need His presence. We just need His power. We need His might in our lives. And so would you dig down deep somewhere this morning? We're going to sing this song through again. Would you dig down deep and say, Lord, you're worthy of my song. No matter what I'm walking through, no matter what I'm traveling through right now and walking and suffering in a way, you're worthy of my song. Would you stand with me this morning, church? Stand with me. And let's let's pursue his presence this morning.